Welcome to What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. And uh, on this very special episode, like, I love these episodes where we get to review <laughs> an entry by a cinema master. I know. you. you I, I'm, I'm always intrigued by these, but you get really giddy about it, I feel. Uh, you know, there's just something about, like, seeing, seeing someone, like, folks, uh, we're talking about David Fincher, like, who, this is insane, folks, if you think about it. The first year of the 2010s, he directed what many people argue is the best film of that decade mm-hmm. in the first year of that decade. Yep. Uh, David Fincher's a master. Um, I didn't come to appreciate it, but like, this is actually kind of funny. I think you would agree. See, mm-hmm. uh, like, you know, people have seen stuff like, uh, like fight club. They've seen, um, um, they've probably seven. seen panic room seven fight club and seven of the two big ones. Yeah. And as a teenager, you're like, yeah, go against the man. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's literally, they're the edgelord foundational material. Exactly. Uh, but you really, really don't get to appreciate Fincher until you kind of mature out of that phase. Like, like, and you start seeing like his hold over and you're like, Oh my gosh, this guy has such an incredible, just command of the frame. It's, it's insane. Well, for me, it was kind of like uh, Fincher's just one of those directors that, and I'm speaking specifically to millennials. I don't think older generations do it quite like this because older generations experienced a lot of these directors as they were making these movies at the time. So I think the experience was very different. But a lot of millennial cinephiles kind of go through this, what I would say is a Tarantino, Scorsese, Fincher... Uh, De Palma bash where you kind of watch like their biggest hits all in the span of like two years. I feel like a lot of cinephiles do this. I know I did. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it's just kind of like you get it all in and you just like, it's sort of like this, it's the, it's in a lot of ways, seeing those movies, seeing these directors, most known works, it kind of crosses your initial barrier of entry initially. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, like Fincher, Fincher's that director that like once you get into him, you're like, oh, I, I'm not, I don't just watch movies to pass time. Yeah, yeah, it becomes you it give becomes, a shit. Yeah, you start giving a shit. Mm-hmm. Um, like my obviously my first Fincher film. Th- this might sound kind of weird. Well, not weird. This is probably actually most people's first introduction to Fincher is that you're skimming through basic cable and it's either uh, Panic Room, Al- Panic Room, or Alien Three. <laughs> And because mm-hmm. they were always like on rotation on basic cable, and yep. my because they were was, cheap, because they were cheap. Yeah, mine was uh, mine was Alien Three. Fact, but you Alien didn't, Three was but my you first movie. But you, no one knew when seeing it that that was Fincher at the time. No, 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 no. But that's just technically like your yes, first. Uh, what, what was it for you? So I s- had seen some clips of Panic Room, but I I remember my. I think it was my mom not being very comfortable with me watching it because I was very, I was in middle school and it's a home invasion movie. So I, I can understand my mom seeing like, you know what? Maybe I don't need my young child worrying that some people are going to get in the house. I can, I can somewhat see for a very little kid, but I do remember the clip because I specifically remember the clip where Jodie Foster is talking to the police officer and she's very nervous and which argue, I would argue looking back is one of the better mo- scenes in that movie. And like the police officer is like trying to figure out if she's okay. You remember, I'm, you know what I'm talking about? Oh yeah, I remember. 
I remember watching that scene. It was on E of all things. I don't know why. It would always rotate through one of those cable channels. And I remember watching the clip. And then I think my mom walked by. And I remember she she looked at it. And she, she told me to bring up the guide, which is basically would tell you what was watching. And it came up. And she's like, change, she just said, change the channel. And I did. And so I, I changed it. But I, that was my first, like, sort of introduction to him. But it, I'd say I think the actual first feature film of his that I watched was Alien Three, unknowingly again because it was I was watching all the Alien. I'd finally gotten permission to watch the Alien movies, and I was watching them chronologically. So I got to Alien Three and watched it. Mm, okay. Um, funny thing, I watched Alien Three with my mother. Oh no! <laughs> no, she was fine with it. I mean, it's basic cable, so they edited out all the really, really like hard R stuff. Was yeah, it, there was was, some it, hard, it was an R movie, right? It was an R movie, yes, but we're not going to make this the whole podcast episode. But guys, just just Google uh, Alien 3 or just go to YouTube and type in Alien 3 Production Hell. And oh, you'll yeah. like learn the hell it went through and why David Fincher at the time thought his career was actually over by yeah. the time it was done. And the thing is, once you see those videos, you're like, yeah, any director would think that. Like, so... So it's interesting kind of wanting to talk about Fincher's kind of outlook on his uh, on his uh, filmography. So uh, Alien 3, he obviously disavows like he wouldn't even like take up. He wouldn't Fox. even touch the assembly cut. He hated it. Well, 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 the thing was, Fox came to him and said, hey, you want to do a director's cut? He's like, fuck no. If I want to do a director's cut, I would need to have like the scenes I wanted to shoot. And those don't exist. I think it was like two or three scenes that he wanted to shoot that the studio said no and he's like, well, there's there can be no director's cut. So Fox, what they put it on their uh, special edition, uh, you know, the the quadrology special editions, because mm-hmm. uh, uh, Ridley Scott did a director's cut, James Cameron did a director's cut, uh, the the Amelie guy who directed Alien Resurrection yes. oh my God. did a director's cut, and what so they did with Alien did Three that. was was an assembly cut. Yeah, the assembly cut before Fincher walked out. Yeah, uh, but they so, don't put it like they don't put it like that on there. But yes, it's hundred no, percent no, 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 no. that. Uh, so, uh, he, seven comes around and he considers seven a film. Fincher is one of those few directors yeah. who, who, in fact, I think he's like the only one of note where he'll come out and say like, yeah, this isn't really a film. This is just like a movie I directed. Sp- Spike Lee does it too. And said, really? but instead of his, well, no, he'll have his films and his joints. So to oh speak. yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. So, you're right. but his joints are basically his movies, but his films are like Malcolm X, Three Little Girls. I, I think that's reverse. I think he calls the stuff that he doesn't care about a film, and the stuff he does care about, he calls a joint. Really? Okay. I really thought that for Malcolm X, it was a Spike Lee film. Maybe, but, maybe I'm wrong. I don't remember, okay. but I know what you're but talking he, about. He it's does. One of those he two. does separate. It. He separates into those. He has films and he has joints, and yeah. one of them are the ones he doesn't care about as much. I don't yeah. know which. Uh, so, so yeah, uh, David Fincher, uh, when he, his second film seven, which he considers his actual first film, mm-hmm. uh, he's like, he's like, okay, this is an actual film. This is, this is something more than the, the sum of its parts. That's what he says is like, this is more than the sum of its parts. Mm-hmm. Right. So he's really proud about that. Uh, then he does the game, which he's like, oh, it's just a well-made movie. Right. The game mm-hmm. starring Michael Douglas, Sean Penn. It's basically. I watched that on a plane. <laughs> basically, it's basically the world's most complex LARP uh, involving like you don't know what's real and what is. It's not that bad. I actually owned it on Blu-ray. 
It's not that bad, but it's really nothing special. No, it's not. It's nothing special. But he like obviously he he, he calls it a movie that he that he's like oh this isn't that bad. Yeah. Uh, then he does Fight Club, which he considers a film. You know, mm-hmm. he, it's an adaptation of of this uh, Gen X novel this, by uh, Chuck uh, Palahiewicz. Palahiewicz. Yeah, it's also probably his most known movie. It's his most infamous movie too. Yeah, uh, it's that yeah, movie well. that everyone's like, oh my god! Like everyone thought it was like going to destroy the country but it really it didn't even make a lot of money but it's 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 his most known movie among cinephiles because it became like a cult classic yeah then he it's does also the, or go on sorry yeah. no you go on i was just gonna say it's it it didn't destroy the world but it did years later it's created a very i would just use the word weird discourse um sure because it, it's caused the what some people would call dangerous idolization now Mm -hmm. that's always existed fight club didn't invent that but it did bring it to a new generation well hard well uh, fincher would respond saying that like the people who like the movie for the wrong reasons totally missed the point of the movie oh of course of course which i think is fair so after fight club you know because fight club didn't do a lot a lot of money fincher's like all right i gotta i gotta make a movie that's gonna make money and panic room made money because it was it was a well-done thriller um I would argue Panic Room's nothing special, but it's, you know... It's, I agree. It's nothing special. But, it has that awful opening CGI shot where it goes through, like, the walls. But that's also just because the CGI aged badly. Yeah, yeah. Um, then we have... Then, like, Fincher doesn't do anything for a while because he's researching for what was at the time his passion project. Uh, an adaptation or kind of a, a telling of the story of the Zodiac uh, killing spree that happened in San Francisco, North and Galif- California... Uh, so he releases Zodiac Star. It's an ensemble piece with Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Denny Jr., Mark Ruffalo. Uh, this is, again, when Fincher finally goes from film to digital. He's one of the first directors to do digital. Zodiac is where he goes, hey, you know what? I can do like 100 takes. Mm. And uh, that's probably w- – and then he, when he would like scream at Jake Gyllenhaal, that take was so bad. We're deleting it that uh, – Right to to this day, Gyllenhaal and Robert Downey Jr. haven't worked with him because they were like, "That's that's just not how you that's not how you should be with actors." But anyway, he considers Zodiac a film. He mm-hmm. considers it one of his films. Now we come to the place where people would say, like, "Mr. Fincher, <laughs> this is not a film," but he considers it one. It's just not a good film. The Curious Case of Benjamin Button. Ooh, he saw. Uh, he watched. Uh, no, no, sorry. Actually, it's the writer. It's uh fuck Eric um, Roth. Yeah, it's literally the writer. Yeah, the writer Roth. of Forrest Gump. That's what I'm trying to think. And yeah. it's like Forrest Gump, but not good. <laughs> not good. I mean, it's it's his most recent collaboration with uh, his friend uh, Brad Pitt. Um, he, but it he, gave him the most Oscar nominations. Which yeah, is no. Sad. It, so so Zodiac and Curious Case of Benjamin Button is Fincher going like, all right, I want to be. I don't just want to be that guy who does thrillers. I want to. I want to be an auteur. I want to be, I want to be a, a, a film, a filmmaker. Yeah. You want to do different stuff. Yeah. And Zodiac was like, everyone says Zodiac was like the third best reviewed film of 2007. The two films above it were no country for old men and mm-hmm. there will be blood. Yeah. So, so poor, poor Fincher was going up against the Coen brothers and uh, Paul Thomas Anderson and he had no shot. Uh, no. So he, he think he tries to do something more director friendly, and the curious case of Benjamin Button at the time 
was seen as like a surefire Oscar winner, but I don't think it really won any. Did it win Best Cinematography? It was no, it was not. Well, <laughs> I don't know, but it was nominated for a lot, but won very little, if anything. It might have won Best Makeup, I think, maybe. Yeah. Then he does what most people call his opus. Um, mm-hmm. Everyone says it's the best film he's ever made, and ironically, didn't win an Oscar for it. Didn't even win Best Picture. But everyone agrees it was the most important uh, film of the 2010s, and that is The Social Network, the story about the creation of Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, it is my favorite David Fincher movie. Um, it's my number two. It's, it's my number two. I, I, think, it's, I think it's one of the best films. I, th- I do think it's the best film of, 20, of the 2010s. That's, that's how highly I think of it. Uh, it's very much a, it's, it's a... It's a miraculous, incredible film. And it's one of those things, too, where... So, when I saw it, I loved it, but it wasn't my favorite movie of that year. Looking back now as an adult and having seen a lot, many other movies, I came to realize just how incredible it was. The the crazy thing is, is that, like, I saw it and I was like, oh my, like, I had not felt about, like, 2010 was such a good year because I saw... Inception. I was like, "What could be better than this? What What is better than this?" And then I saw the Social Network like three, four months later, and I was like, "Oh, <laughs> that's better than Inception." Mm-hmm. Um, I, I stand well, that, by that. That year is one of the best years. Let's be yeah. honest. Yeah, it was such a good year. Yeah. Uh, and then now we have another film that Fincher, like again, bit of controversy. People don't agree with him. Where he says, "Oh, this is another one of my movies." Uh, but most people would say, no, no, this is a film. And that is his Gone American, Girl. no, his American oh, remake of You're The Girl right. with the Dragon Tattoo. Oh my God, I forgot that. Uh, where he's like, no, I just did this, you know, just to make a well-made thriller. And it was one of the best films of the year. Was nominated for a ton of stuff. Didn't really win much. No. Uh, unfortunately, it's such a, uh, would bummer be the right word? For, well, for the that? whole, the, the thing... It is, you know what it is. It's James Bond. If you see, if you, but instead of James Bond kicking everyone's ass, they're all kicking his ass for like the longest time, and it's just so depressing, and it's fucked up. But yeah. we, but the thing is, I think the reason why it was pushed so hard because it it had a massive advertising campaign. That I remember Pinscher that. That himself ran, and oh some yeah, pe- some people say that that's kind of what hurt the movie because he's like. We're really gonna like push the the bummer, depressing angle of this movie. And people didn't want to see that. Remember um, the feel bad movie of the of Christmas is what it was. Or yeah. the feel bad movie of the year. Yeah, and it it's a gra- I saw like a really late showing in back in our college town by myself. I was one of the two people in the whole fucking theater, and from the from the moment the intro plays, I knew oh this is gonna be something else. But I still know people to this day where that movie rubs them the wrong way. Yeah. Where it just, it makes, it makes them very uncomfortable. It makes them very sick. And I'm like, I can't blame you, but I love it. And it's, it's a shame that we didn't get more, more of it, at least with Rooney Mara is what I mean by that. Yeah. But we know there's a whole story around that. And there's a whole other thing. Now we got another film that he considers a movie, but a lot of people would say is a film. Uh, that is Gone Girl, starring Ben Affleck and Rosamund Pike. Again, for him, it was like, I just want to make a really good thriller, and this was a fun read I had. Uh, uh, 
the screenplay was written by the book's author, Gillian, or Gillian Flynn. It helped that the book is actually amazing. That's part of it. Yeah, yeah. It's really well done. Um, some people think that this is uh, Fincher's smartest film. Um, hmm. Yeah, people say that it's one of the most satir- it's one of the best satires of the 2010s. Uh, I, I I like it. The ending the ending is a, a big bummer though. Although at the end you're like, this sucks, but you kind of both deserve each other in the worst way possible. That's see that's because one of our actually our friend Chris R hates he hates the ending of this movie like really does. But I actually have to agree with you that it, basically these they're both terrible people that deserve each other. One's just way worse than the other. Oh yeah, totally. Like like it's still a tragedy, but you're like, you kind of you kind of like 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 her monologue at the end. Like this is what you wanted. I'm like, she's not wrong. It's just you going like you just go like, yeah. But I, I don't think he realized that that was that bad. But anyway, so uh, Fincher doesn't make another movie for six years, and now he releases not only what is a very near and dear project to his heart, but something he considers like the best film he's ever made. Mm. And that's a uh, 2020s Mank starring oh Gary Oldman. God, this, this script is luscious. That's the only way I can describe it. I written by I, his dad. Yeah. Yes. So only script to be written by his father. Um, and the dialogue is so Al can attest that I was like giddy as they talked in this movie. Like, I need to feel it here, here, and here. I just uh, touched my head, my heart, and grabbed my balls. Well, for me, it was the line that I love. Oh, the Writers Guild. The only thing they forgot in that was an apostrophe. That's <laughs> so good. That's I, I remember when they said that, because we were, this was on Netflix, folks, and we did not go to a theater to see this. We should have, but we didn't. Um, it was a very limited release in theaters. It was hard to find. But... Literally, he says that, and I paused it, and I was like, I need a minute after he said that. Like, I had to <laughs> process that line. It was that good. Now, what I what grinds me up is, like, pe- at, like people... Okay. I later learned, like, oh, only cinephiles love it. Yeah, no shit. But... And, like, I understand why some people were a little... Because I think... Weren't one of the critiques of it was that they found it... Like, they didn't understand why Mank deserved a movie, right? Wasn't that the big issue? Uh, I think the big issue was was that, like, it's... it's Like, they're like, okay, why a love letter to this... To, to Citizen Kane, to this guy? And um, I, I really think it's... I think... The way the script is written, it was obvious that David Fincher's father had such a giant amount of respect for uh this character joseph mankiewicz um that that was joseph mankiewicz is that his brother Wait, which mank am i talking about um, uh herman mankiewicz joseph herman mankiewicz, mankiewicz was yeah. his brother so herman mankiewicz started off as a reporter and david fincher's dad was a, was a reporter was like like a reporter who would get hired by newspapers and stuff so i think this guy just who wanted to be a screenwriter was like oh well i'm gonna do a screenplay about the most famous reporter turned screenwriter herman mankiewicz um most famous script doctor the some say with the first script doctor of hollywood and i think he just loved the the man so much and obviously fincher loves his dad mm-hmm. so fincher's creating a love letter to his father by way of creating a love letter to the a man his father really highly respected mm-hmm. and i think what threw people off was that they're like where's where's the patented patented or patented fincher cynicism 
Fincher darkness, Fincher like modernism. Yeah, but and the it's thing not there. is, it's, it's not it's, there. Well, the darkness is there. That's the thing. The scene between Mank and the really wealthy, the guy that Citizen Kane is clearly based on. Oh, um, um, what's his face? Uh, uh, God, uh, like he owned all the newspapers. No, yeah, he was. Um, what I was can't... his name? Oh my God, uh, he was the one like. Like, he was the one who famously wouldn't include a review of the movie in the, any yeah, of the newspapers. Uh, Marion Davies was like his lover. Uh, uh, William Randolph Hearst. Yes. William it's one, Randolph Hearst. He is one of the reasons why that movie didn't do very well at the time because he was determined. We're talking about Citizen Kane. Folks. Oh, sorry. Citizen, yeah. Sorry. Sorry. Citizen Kane, you know, great movie. Make is about the right, the co-writer or the main writer of Citizen Kane. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm not providing a lot of context because <laughs> I don't care and I love this movie. Um, but there's a scene where Herman, because Her, that was it. Herman Mankiewicz was kind of friends with him, which I never knew, which is kind of crazy. Yeah. Um, there's this whole scene, though, where he has a conversation with with this man, this this the richest man alive, basically, at the time. And... Basically, it's this scene where you realize, oh, they're not really friends. Because you realize he's belittling Mank in a really fucked up monologue. Yeah. Where he basically calls him his pet. And there's the darkness there. I'd say, the yeah, the modernism isn't there in that way. But it's so well fucking shot. It's gorgeous. The acting's great. The script, it should have been nominated for best uh, screenplay. But I know the Academy had issues with that. Um... But yeah, it that is that is my favorite movie of his that most people aren't as into because everyone has like a movie where, a movie and or film that Fincher's made that someone isn't super into. Mm-hmm. For me, it's probably the game, uh, but for a lot of people, it seems to be Mank. Uh, but I love Mank. I fucking mm-hmm. love it. All right, so now we get to Sorry. a movie that Fincher has explicitly said. This is a movie. This is not a film. This is just me wanting to do something fun. And, and he's going a little further with this one. He's very. He's almost said, "I don't care." Almost with this almost. one. Almost. Uh, this is an. This is an adaptation of a French comic book. That's apparently mm-hmm. like a very famous series of comic books. Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there. It was the. It was the antithesis to Lupin in a lot of ways. Yeah. Basically, this may be. Uh, there may Netflix may be uh, making more of these. Who knows. Uh, it stars Michael Fassbender in like his first big role since taking a little break because he wanted to be a race car driver for a bit. Oh, that's uh, right. Written by another one of David Fincher's close friends, uh, Andrew Kevin Walker, the writer of Seven. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is Fincher being like, "All right, I'm going to do something fun, and it's going to be a thriller like you all you all know me for." And uh, yeah, he's pretty much said that this this isn't striving to 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 say anything really. It's just trying to be like a tight thriller. And uh, does it succeed? Do you think? Well, see, would you agree that it's trying to succeed in being a very tight thriller? <laughs> I know why you're asking me this. Um, it when it wants to is the All best right. way I can describe it. So, how is about we watch the trailer? Yes, and then we give our review. I agree. I find music a useful distraction. A focus tool keeps the inner voice from wandering.
process is purely logistical. If I'm effective, it's because of one simple fact. I don't give a For what it's worth, I would never have involved your female friend. Forbid empathy. Please. Trust no one. Fight only the battle you're paid to fight. This is what it takes if you want to succeed. Hey. intense trailer huh yeah yeah i was about to say magneto's taking it up a notch <laughs> um yeah so very intense trailer seems to seems to it gives off the vibe that this is going to be a very intense like like white knuckle uh uh story about assassins murder all this stuff mm-hmm. yeah it's that it's also but really it's, fucking funny it, it <laughs> so but like the joke's on us. That's the problem. The audience, when I say us. Mm-hmm. So, do you want to? I, I give the floor to you, C. Give, sure. give your opening thoughts on the movie. So, let me first say that my dad is, is the reason why I love movies so much, or at least the foundation of it. And we love Fincher. Um, my dad could not get through the first 20 minutes. Uh, and that's and I, intentional, folks. I, I know. No, I, I had to tell him. I literally told my dad, "He's like, no, that's intentional." And he's like, "Well, I don't care." And I'm like, "No, so this movie is two hours long. This movie yes. is two hours long, and Fincher intentionally made like, no, this is a this is a hundred minute movie with a twenty minute prologue mm-hmm. that you have to get through in order to, for the movie to start. Like, I don't know why he did it." I don't, I don't know, know what either. point he's trying to make. That's the problem. That's the problem I have with this. So, I, I know, it ends in a joke. Like it, it ends like in a pretty clever joke, but it's still like you could have done that in ten minutes, and we would have gotten it. But anyway, sorry, yeah. sorry to interrupt. See, no, continue. no, that's fine. So okay, so the joke's on us. Okay, it's a this is a this is a movie about a cold, calculating killer who doesn't even like enjoy it he's not that you want to watch that what i'm saying is that this is a this is like watching what it like okay let me start over this is like taking a person who like has to do those business trips and it's kind of like okay with it but kind of annoyed by it and but like the the trip happens to be going to kill someone that's what this is in Paris by the way in Paris yes um but even so but that like even in the other parts of the movie everything's just a job this is just a job and he decides 
he basically he's put on a job, something goes bad, and he tries to recover, basically. Um, and then he tries to, bit of a spoiler here, folks, he avenges the attack of someone he cares about, basically. Because the the person who put out the hit wanted to get him back, basically. Essentially what it was was that uh, apparently how the assassination business works, if you fuck up a job, uh, the guy who paid you to do the job gets to like, gets to like have you killed is apparently the thing. And he's not home when it happens. So they heard someone close to him and Mm -hmm. he's like, well, this is bullshit. Yeah, because he's kind of like, I've put my time. You don't get to do this to me. And so he then goes after the company. The people who allowed this to happen. Yeah, the people who allowed this to happen. And the whole movie is basically literally is, is very much in the orientation of the fact that it's kind of like saying, oh, yeah, much like killing assassination is like a business. Therefore, it would be treated that way and they would act that way. Like, it's, it's all they would do. And that may have been somewhat the point of the, what is, 20 minutes of a single room, basically. Is he was trying to basically be like, well, sometimes whatever the job calls for. But you're absolutely right, Al. You could have made the point in 10 minutes. The, the thing is, and I'm sorry, but I, I do have yeah. a bit of a rant. So the thing yeah. is, is that what makes the first 20 minutes so hard to get through is the fact that Fincher intentionally, so this this is taking place in Paris, right? Fincher intentionally makes it that you're either watching the guy wait for the perfect moment to commit the assassination in a in a like shell of a former WeWork space, mm-hmm. or he's going to like like burger like he's going to like a McDonald's or a Starbucks. He's basically going to boring places. Like like it's it's like Fincher was like, how do I make like the, the location is Paris. How do I make it as unphotogenic as possible or as uninteresting as possible? And he succeeds. Everything that he does in that, those first 20 minutes is super uninteresting. Mm-hmm. Uh, eating, eating of eating like a tasteless McDonald's burger, uh, buying like coffee at a Starbucks stop. Like he only stops at like corporate chains, nowhere picturesque. Everything looks really drab and gray. And his entire monologue is him talking about how much of a badass he is. But also randomly going on weird tangents in his head at times too. Like like about like about like how people suck, right? Mm-hmm. And the whole thing is that at the very, very end, right as he's about to commit the perfect is it because he says he's like the best. He's about to commit the perfect crime. And there's a fuck up. And you laugh because you're like, oh you you fucked up. And you're like, it's funny, but then you're like, that didn't need to be. 20 minutes that could have been 10 minutes that that really could have been eight minutes yeah it could have been eight minutes where the last minute is like just total silence as he's getting ready and then everything fucks up yeah once those 20 minutes are over though you you kind of do get that thriller you were promised by the trailer Mm -hmm. Uh, it's just that Fincher, this is weird. Fincher calls this his most movie movie. Like he says, okay, okay, fuck you, Fin. Sorry, fuck you. That's really annoying to me. And like, I love Fincher. You're better than me in every way. But come on. But but it's so usually when he says like the movie's not really trying to say anything. It's just trying to entertain you, right? It's mm-hmm. it's just entertainment. Yeah. But but the movie is saying something. It really is. And see, you and I discussed about it after we both talked about how we saw it. So. 
through so this is literally a globe trotting journey right like it mm -hmm. starts in paris ends in chicago goes to like the caribbean goes mm -hmm. to like florida goes to new orleans goes right? everywhere. he's going it's, he's going everywhere he makes a stop at like germany i think before yeah. he comes back to the to north america mm -hmm. the the problem is is that like fincher makes it a point to be like you know most movies when they're globe trotting they it's all always, the sites it's always they beautiful. always take you to the sites they always find an excuse to take you to the most interesting looking location of that particular area and mm -hmm. finch is like no uh you're gonna be in a very bland looking airport you're gonna be like in a in a chain burger joint you're, you're gonna, gonna be, be outside you're gonna be in a taxi you're gonna be you're gonna be yeah. out in an enterprise rental shop right you're mm -hmm. gonna be in an airport hotel he always chooses like ironically the places that you're most likely to be if you're in those places uh and he makes it look drab and boring because he's trying to say something what exactly he's trying to say it varies because i was saying that like oh this is a critique on just like the 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 global consumerism that has enveloped the entire world where you can be in a place as exotic as say uh paris and you'll just be in a ups store Right. Mm -hmm. Would you you can even find a UPS store in a tiny town in the Midwest. You can find a UPS store in Bali. OK. Right. Like, right. Understand. Like, like, like that's what he's trying to say. And see, you think Fincher was trying to say something else. Yeah. I think what he was trying to say is the he was speaking to how the character treats this like a job. So when you're at a job, when you're when you're at a job. You typically go with chains if you need a resource of some kind because you can rely on it being the same thing, good or bad. You can rely on it being the same. And McDonald's in Florida tastes the same as a McDonald's in California. Okay? Am I wrong? No. no like that's I, I, that's I, what he's doing. I think you're totally right. Um, I, I think it might be a mix of both our, our interpretations Fair. of this whole thing. But 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 point remains is that like it does not make for a very exciting like material. Material when your your assassin character is basically uh just kind of being a paranoid in an airport hotel. Now, now that being said, Fincher still shoots it in a way where you're like you're like, "Oh shit, it's paranoid." But like like he's saying something with how, with the specific locations he's doing, but he's still like shooting it as a thriller. It's just that that kind of, there's a bit of a disconnect, right? Because mm -hmm. normal, like like for instance, folks, uh, everyone in the everyone's been in a Chinese restaurant. Mm -hmm. How many Chinese restaurants look like real life Chinese restaurants look like they do in the movies? None. In the movies, you have few. you have these crazy dragon statues, these crazy red and gold wallpaper, right? These mm -hmm. like. Um, these it's guardian intense. lions like there might even be like a like a little mini water koi pond in the middle of the restaurant right mm -hmm. looks really nice most chinese restaurants are do not look like that yeah. but that's intentional they want you to know that you're in an exotic location so they always make the they always create a chinese restaurant that doesn't exist and mm -hmm. fincher's like no like if you need to send um if you need to send like express postage Go to like the most drab looking FedEx possible, right? Mm -hmm. Oh, and you need a high tech gadget? No, you're going to order something off of Amazon. So there's that disconnect. But I would say, and see, I don't know if you would agree that 
Fincher, at least with his filmmaking technique, his filmmaking mastery, still is able to get some pretty great uh, uh, sequences. Undoubtedly about there. That is undeniable. He does. He does achieve a certain kind of neon neo-noir look. I'm not denying that for a moment. He does get that. And in that sense, it is a very unique looking film. I actually just think this movie, I think the message could have been conveyed if he just did two things a little bit differently. Number one, as we stated, shorten the shorten the joke before you get to the punchline in the beginning. Like you said, 10 minutes, eight minutes even, that's enough. Like, because to a point, it just becomes exhaust. Like it becomes exhausting. You, the point is, as I say sometimes, when I'm driving and I get cut off in traffic, or it, the tra- the traffic's really slow, I'll just yell, "The point has been made." Like I get it. I get it. This is. I understand. The other thing, and this movie touches on it, but I think this movie needed to go a little deeper than, for whatever reason, Fincher was willing to. But we needed to see him lose control more. Okay, we do get that. It does happen. But we needed, I would say, at the, between the first and third act, he needs to really, we need a moment of vulnerability, full vulnerability, where he lost control and has to do, has to do something that is totally not like, uh, what he's been doing before and to the point has to like go to a not chain place has to like do other things that's when we lose the constant narration in the movie like we needed to break away from it and we needed to see that in order for the message to be fully understood we needed to see the alternate in order to work i think i would argue that he we did get that it's it's when his when his close person got hurt that's him not having control it is, but he and the but we problem, don't see it. We just see the, his reaction to it. We see his reaction, and then he's still seamlessly doing all the things he needs to do. Like I literally wanted what? I, okay, here's how I'll put it. After, uh, folks, again, spoiler alert. We've been watching it. Go check it out. If I'll be this direct, after the Florida Man sequence, I want this motherfucker to go to like a goddamn. Uh, dock in a box and need help and we lose the narration and then he has to go to like some local not chain gas station restaurant and feed himself or get some kind of basic medicine and he's like struggling to do what he needs to do and he's not narrating whatsoever he's actually talking to people and asking for help and like that's what I I know I'm being very specific and direct but I needed something like that where he was brought out of his his element completely and that was the real challenge he was never challenged that's what it is no no he's you're never totally challenged right. I, like so there like what everyone says is the best part of the movie is uh there's a sequence in florida where there he has a very intense hand-to-hand fight sequence mm-hmm. uh, it's amazing it's really really good um there the problem is is that like his opponent is so much bigger than him and the sound design is so good that when his opponent punches him, you're like, how are you not dead? Yeah. And, and, how did he not your cave your face in? Yeah. And, and the, the thing is, you know, like when you're like, oh, the sound design is really good. The fight's really good. But visually, it just looks so lopsided that when he ends up winning, like and winning pretty like without any outside help, 
You're mm-hmm. like, okay, dude, you're not Superman. Like, yeah. how how does that compute? It's still a great fight. You know what would have been better? And this uh, is going to get very specific. I'm sorry. Much how, like, he fucked up in the opening contract sequence, the the Florida man should have died through an accident. Like, that's... He should have died, and it wasn't because of Fassbender's character. You know, like, the, 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 this... The critique I have is a similar critique that a lot of people have. Like, when, when you see, like, a tiny, tiny woman just doing crazy kung fu winning fights against a groups of six foot tall men and then she's like normal she's not like she's not like meta human she's not like above human right mm-hmm. where you're like where you're like well how did that work i mean in the like this was more egregious because fincher shoots it in such a way and the sound design is so good that you're like wait how how did you how are you not dead mm-hmm. right right cuz cuz usually the other movies they obviously don't really care about the like this tiny woman beating up ten like six foot tall guys. Or they even attempt to make a reason. You may not buy it, but they attempt. Or or the fight scenes are never that good. This fight scene was so good and so yeah. well done that when it ends and he wins, you're like, how? Whereas those mm-hmm. other fight scenes, you're like, oh, okay, fine, I believe it because it's, they're never that good. The sound design is never that good. So th- yeah. this is literally Finchering suffering from his own success. Yeah. <laughs> he is. Um, no, but I agree with you, C. I think the problem is is that he gets he gets like arguably two setbacks. He fucked up the hit and someone close to him is hurt. But then after that he's just winning, 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 winning. And it really yeah. just becomes like, well, how is he gonna win this time? Even the one sequence where you're like, you really shouldn't win, he's mm-hmm. still winning, winning, winning. Um, there's one sequence where he's kinda like it looks like he's having doubts. Uh, because someone's being vulnerable with him. Um, and you're like, oh, okay, let's see where this goes. And dope, he's still winning, he's still winning. That being said, again, I, I, I think it needs to be emphasized. On a technical level, Fincher's still at the top of his game. Oh, of course. he, he te- On a technical level, he's got it down pat. No, no one would ever deny that. Yeah, um, it's just like, this is this really is the most, yeah, it's just, it's just a well-made thriller. The problem is, it's like, well, what what thrills are you getting, right? Mm-hmm. You you never really th- worry that he's gonna lose, because mm-hmm. really and truly, it's like, okay, I gotta beat up or kill like four people, five people maybe, and that's really it. And it's just you the the movie really is like, okay, how is this guy gonna beat up or kill these these five particular people? And you're like, okay, I guess, cool, fine. And then just the added fact that like. Fincher's trying to say something about corporatism and like and like stuff like that and and everything looking drab and samey. You're kind of like, okay, that's fine, I guess. Mm. All right. Sure. I don't know. Is there anything else you want to add, see? Um God, him saying it's his most movie movie really upsets me. I don't like that he said that. But I would say that. Oh. One other thing I want to add about Fincher's trajectory and career and path. He has been majorly responsible for some pretty big streaming stuff. Um, House of Cards, people notice. Um, also, Manhunter. Uh, no, Mindhunter. Mindhunter, I'm sorry. Mindhunter. Um, and the reason why I bring those up is because this, the killer, looked the most like those by a lot. The drab, the gray, the. Like, it really looked like those a lot. Um, so I think he was almost 
resting on his own laurels a little bit in that sense. Like he's like, oh, I've been practicing. I've been doing these for a while. So I can now shoot this way, but with intense action sequences. And you know what? He got his cool action sequences. These are definitely some of the best action sequences that you'll find in any of his movies, especially the Florida Man sequence. It's it's fantastic. But I think he he just wanted to make a movie and it's almost like he had this idea brewing in his head, not even like an idea for a movie. He's just like, why don't they do something like this? Like, why hasn't this been done? Well, And now that we've seen it, it's almost like, well, now we kind of know why it hasn't been you, done. You, you want to know something? I know, so uh, just to give a little uh, Fincher anecdote, Fincher, mm-hmm. Sony really, really courted Fincher after um, after Aaron Sorkin had wrote Jobs, or Steve Jobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, wait, which which one is the Aaron Sorkin? Is it Steve Jobs or Jobs? Um, Steve Jobs. Steve, Steve Jobs. Jobs, yeah, Steve Jobs. After Sorkin wrote Steve Jobs, Sony was like, listen, you guys made money with, uh, made magic with... Uh, with the social network, you should you should make Steve Jobs. And Fincher was like, uh, I don't know. He really liked the script. He says, okay, we're going to do this. I need full control, and it has to be Christian Bale. It has to be Christian Bale, no one else, right? Fincher definitely had a very specific idea of who should be Steve Jobs, right? He was like, if he was going to do it, he was going to give it his all. Mm-hmm. That's just how Fincher is with stuff that yeah. he's passionate about. Mm-hmm. You know what? You know what he talked about casting for this movie. He's like after he signed on to do it. Uh, one of the producers was like, "All right, so we talked to some people, and uh, uh, Michael Fassbender, you know, hasn't done anything for a while, and he just recently watched Les Samurai, and he wants to be, <laughs> he wants to do something like that. So how about we talk to him?" And Fitch was like, oh, "That sounds fine." <laughs> like like he did not have he did not come into this project saying like I want Michael Fassbender. Literally, the producer was like, Michael Fassbender, I hear Michael Fassbender wants to do something like this, uh, you know, because he just saw Le Samurai. You want to you wanna talk to him? Sure, why not? Oh, all right, cool. We'll get him. That that shows you, like, that, I think that says volumes about, like, Fincher's passion for this. Well, also, I have to admit, he, it's kind of ironic that he ended up being Steve Jobs when Fincher didn't want him, and now he ended well, well, up... Fincher, Fincher, it, it's not that Fincher didn't want him. Fincher explicitly said if christian bale says no i don't want to do it and he said christian bale said no i i don't know i think it was that the studio was like we actually really want leonardo dicaprio because he's more bankable and and it was like if you guys don't get me christian bale i'm not doing it damn okay well um didn't know that but the what i'm contrasting is is that in this one he had no actor in mind for the role of Mm -hmm. the killer he just was like they just suggested someone who was available. He's like, okay, fine. And you know that if he says that, that he's not, I'm not saying That's, his heart wasn't into it, but it's like, yeah. it's like. He was having fun. He was having yeah, fun. Yeah. And that's fine. It's just. And, and see, on a technical level, I have no problem with it. And I think they, I think Michael Fassbender did a great job with the material. Yeah. You know, yeah. he, he really does come off great as a guy who's been doing this a while and like, kind of saying like I'm in a remorseless killer but then still having like a soft layer underneath that it's just that it's so like the story is just so like straightforward and it doesn't really have any challenge for the protagonist you know what I mean no I agree you know what I realized this kind of reminds me of but actually okay let me say this 
I feel like, and I have no proof of this, but I feel like one of Fincher's favorite movies is probably Manhunter, okay? The, for those of you who don't know, this is the first um, um, Silence of the Lambs adaptation, okay? It came Directed out, by Michael Mann. Yes, amazing movie. Highly recommend it, folks. Check it out. Um, and it's it's it's... It literally is like very similar to the story of Silence of the Lambs, but told in a slightly different way. But it's got a very, it is stylized, but it's got, and it's got dramatic, serious moments. But it's also very symmetrical in the way it's shot a lot of the time. And it does have a gray tone. I don't know if that gray tone was intentional. I think that's because of the camera they chose. But either way, it has this very, it has this very specific kind of tone to it. And I'm realizing now, I I just feel like Fincher loves that movie a lot because it is about this person who is he obviously wants to solve this crime, but he's 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 it's still there's a business element to it where there's like these scenes where they're trying to figure out not figure out but like figure out the cost of flying him to another place to go see the equivalent of basically Hannibal Lecter and he's trying to go to another location and he's getting a car at the airport like it's not overstated in this movie but it is an element they almost wanted to include and I'm seeing that in this a little bit Mm -hmm. so I'm just like it's interesting it's kind of like, and again, maybe Fincher could give a shit about about Manhunter, but I don't, I don't think that's the case. It's interesting to see when directors talk about movies they love, and again, I'm making an assumption, and then their interpretation of that or where they want to take it. It's, it really is fascinating because it either, it's it's actually more fascinating when it kind of reaches it reaches where we're at now, which is this middle of the road, neither amazing nor terrible situation, where you're kind of left unsure of where to go from here, but in the end, you know you're not satisfied because we're not going to be talking about this movie a year from now. Like that's I'm not even trying to shit on it. That's just the reality. We're not really gonna. You know, when we see the title of it, we're like, oh, yeah, that, that had a fun, that, that was neat. But we're not going to, like, this isn't going to stick around. This um, this is, like, when people yeah. get worried that, like, Netflix hires all these auteurs, but they don't, They there was always that worry that, like, oh, they hire these auteurs, but they're going to create stuff that's not memorable. And then, obviously, Fincher proved them wrong with Mank, and I would sure. argue, I would argue, say what you will, uh, uh, Scorsese's The Irishman is memorable. Maybe not in the way he wants, but it Al, is memorable. It's also Roma. There's that. Roma, yeah. So, um, yeah, But that's what I'm saying. It's like that fear has been assuaged. Yeah, but this is kind of what people were worried about when they heard like, oh, David Fincher probably is just going to make a bunch of Netflix movies. This is kind of what they were worried about. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay. You know, where it's like, oh, it's just going to be like kind of... Uh, he, You know what he did? He did a Soderbergh. <laughs> Like yeah, Soder- that's what. Oh it my is. god, was- that's the best way to put it. He did it because look, we love Soderbergh. Soderbergh's made some great stuff, but also Soderbergh's made the most movies I know of out of any modern day director. Like my god, he more? like makes. No, I think Woody Allen's made more because he makes no, like okay, one yeah. every year and a half. This is true. Okay, Woody Allen's made more, but Soderbergh's up there though. Like he's made like he's directed like almost forty movies. I think. No, no, you're right. You're right. And it's crazy amount. But guess what? I'd say about 20 of them, you couldn't ask me to tell you the fucking name of it. Um, 
Like, are you going to tell me I've watched Let Them Talk on HBO Max? No. No, I yeah, he makes it. a lot of stuff that some would argue is bland or forgettable. Yeah, but it's almost like... So yeah, he pulled a Soderbergh because he just wanted to experience something. He wanted to experience making something. Mm-hmm. And that's what mm-hmm. Soderbergh does. The difference with Soderbergh is he just does stuff until it hits, which kind of happens with him. But that's a different discussion for another time. Um, do you wanna do you wanna give your review for the yeah. killer? Yes, yes. Go yes, ahead. Let's do that. Well, I'm gonna quote uh, Fincher here and say it's a movie, movie. It's the most <laughs> movie, movie. <laughs> he said it, not me. <laughs> you want to elaborate or that's it? The, it's okay. In the sense that, okay, this feels like one of those really well shot movies from the nineties. You know what it is? If, if he, if he, you, we talked about how alien three and panic room were on cable all the time, right? Yeah. If he made the killer back when he made those, so would this. Okay, I, agree. I totally this agree. This would be on there all uh, uh, the uh, fucking time. And this is this is my rating. This is uh, uh, entertaining basic cable movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that's what it is. It would be. It's one of those movies that he made, and it's like like, like you'd see it on TV. All there, the time. It's listen. It's still like Fincher has such technical mastery that yes, he can make you feel paranoid while you're in a fucking airport hotel he does yeah. it he does it well uh like literally for most of the runtime uh like michael faustbender's killer character is monologuing just bullshit but it's still somewhat compelling it's, you know what it is this is the movie e plays at midnight yeah <laughs> like when the, they think no one's watching the, the the problem is the problem is the plot isn't really special um he really doesn't have an obstacle and Quite frankly, like the stuff Fincher's trying to say, he, he gets the point across. It also is the added effect of like kind of making the movie a little bit more of a chore. Mm-hmm. Um, because listen, Fincher always works with some of the best digital cinematographers in the business, mm-hmm. but there's only so many ways you can shoot uh, a McDonald's before you're just like, okay, I'm, I'm a little bored visually. Um, oh, yeah. Like, like here's the thing. It's oh, and one other thing I'd like to add, just a bit of trivia. This movie has the most amount of Steadicam shots in a Fincher movie, mm-hmm. and I think that's telling because Fincher is well known that like when there's camera movement, it's always this very impersonal robotic dolly shots. Yeah, like you see it in Gone Girl, you see it in The Social Network, you see it in um, you see it in most of his stuff. This one has a t- like they're like. The scene where he discovers that someone's been hurt is like almost an unbroken Steadicam shot, which is unheard of in a Fincher movie. And at first I was like, oh, this is Fincher experimenting. And then after I saw the movie, I was like, what if this was Fincher going like, sir, do you want to do this on Steadicam? Yeah, why not? (laughs) Now, that being said, the, the one big fight scene in this movie is really, really well done. Oh, it's awesome. It's so good. Honestly, honestly, if, if, you're like, if you can't stand the, those first 20 minutes and you're like, I just really want to see the fight scene. It's probably on YouTube already. Oh, but, yeah. but yeah, this is an entertainment basic cable movie. Yeah. Well, this With has been the oh, killer. That was because, yeah, you're, you're, you were, you're t- t- taking my thunder. See, that's not, that's not fair. Good. Anyway, this has been our review of the killer. 
And this has been What Do You Think? I'm Al. And I'm C. Why are you hanging out with the normies? <laughs> like Elmer Fudd once said, I am what I am. Good night, everybody. <laughs>